0: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. Earlier this month, March 6th, Fox News host Tucker Carlson went to air with an exclusive. He'd been given unfettered access to 42,000 hours of capital footage from the January 6th, 2021, attack on Congress.
1: Our producers were given use of capital computers with advanced mapping software. That made it easy to find what we were looking for.
0: Carlson and Fox News were looking for a narrative to placate and pander to their audience, to distract From the truth that rioters stormed the Capitol and violently halted the electoral count and disrupted American democracy. The truth that rioters attacked and injured Capitol police. That they surged together to break down doors and windows. That some roamed the halls of Congress searching for lawmakers while wearing body armor, carrying zip ties, or parading the Confederate flag. Instead... Tucker Carlson and Fox News were looking for a way to whitewash history.
1: The crowd was enormous. A small percentage of them were hooligans. They committed vandalism. You've seen their pictures again and again. But the overwhelming majority weren't. They were peaceful, they were orderly and meek. These were not insurrectionists, they were sightseers.
0: Tucker Carlson, on Fox News, March 6th of this year. So, orderly, meek, sightseers. Wonder what the January 2021 version of Congressman Kevin McCarthy would think of that. People brought ropes. When, when I got back into my building, I found the straps that they had. I don't know they would come to try to kidnap
1: somebody or whatever, but they, they were well planned for it.
0: This is Kevin McCarthy in January of 2021, just days after the attack on Congress. He was speaking on KERN News Talk Radio, a local California station that airs in his Bakersfield district. And on that day, McCarthy said, quote, what the mob did was un-American. What happened in this Capitol should never happen again.
1: Anybody that participated needs to go to court, needs to go to jail. We have been clear about that from day one.
0: Well, two years later, it was none other than Kevin McCarthy, now House Speaker and second in line for the presidency, who gave Tucker Carlson unprecedented and unfettered access to the Capitol footage so that Carlson could spin the tale of a meek and orderly mob. Thanks to the new Republican Speaker's office, we gained access to thousands
1: of hours of surveillance video that help answer that question.
0: Well, here's another question. Why? Why would the current Speaker of the House, the same man who desperately called Donald Trump on January 6th, 2021, begging Trump to call off the rioters, why would he give an exclusive to a network known to lie about January 6th and to lie about the results of the 2020 presidential election itself? Why are some of his other colleagues in the Republican caucus visiting accused and convicted rioters in a DC jail, high-fiving them, and dubbing themselves the Patriot Wing. What does this say about the health and fragility of American democracy right now, when elected congressional leaders are throwing their vocal support behind people both accused and convicted of one of the most violent attacks on U.S. government in the nation's history? And they're doing so even as hundreds and hundreds of January 6th trials are still moving through the justice system. Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And we'll start with Ryan Riley. He's a justice reporter at NBC News, and he has been thoroughly covering January 6th and its aftermath and all of those hundreds of cases. He's author of Sedition Hunters, How January 6th Broke the Justice System. Ryan, welcome back to On Point.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
0: Also joining us today is Tim Haifey. He's a former U.S. attorney who served as chief investigative counsel for the House January 6th Committee. And he joins us from Charlottesville, Virginia. Tim Hafey, welcome to you. Thanks, Meghna. Well, Tim, I wonder if I could just start with you. Uh, when you first heard about uh, Speaker McCarthy giving those hours of footage to Tucker Carlson and then subsequently saw Carlson's report um, in early March, what did you think? What was your reaction?
3: Well, my first reaction was surprise at his access. When the committee uh, worked with the Capitol Police to get access to that footage, it was under very strict controls. This is really sensitive information. The Capitol complex has cameras throughout, inside and out, and the specific locations of those cameras is something that the Capitol Police holds very close. They don't want the public knowing exactly the vantage points from which they observe events. And they certainly don't want the public to know about routes of evacuation and safe spaces within the complex that were utilized on January 6th. So before we could use any of that footage publicly, we had a very careful process with the Capitol Police consulting with them before we disclosed any of those locations through the use of footage in our hearings. I don't know if Tucker Carlson had any such agreement, if the speaker put any restrictions on the access to footage or subsequent use of it. So my first reaction, Megna, was alarm that this really sensitive law enforcement information was provided uh, to an outside source without those protections.
0: Hmm. Well, I understand that um, without elaborating, uh, Steve Scalise said at one point in time that what gets released is going to be, quote unquote, scrutinized, but there wasn't any elaboration uh, on that. So then based on what you saw, though, in terms of uh, the footage that Carlson eventually eventually put on the air, um, Tim, I mean, how much does that differ from... You know the the analysis that you came away with doing your work for uh, the January six committee. It differs radically. This this narrative that there were a lot of peaceful
3: protesters or sightseers at the Capitol is uh, is absolute hogwash. You know this was an insurrection. This was a violent attack on the U.S. Capitol. Uh, over a thousand people have been arrested. Not all of them arrested for committing property destruction or assault on law enforcement, but every single person who streamed through the broken windows and doors of the Capitol knew that they were trespassing, knew that they were committing a crime. And the notion that this was some sort of lark or some sort of peaceful, uh, happy-go-lucky protest uh, is just false. And he took selective bits of footage of people walking around the Capitol and is using that to create this misleading narrative that, uh, that somehow this was a peaceful protest.
0: Well, I suppose that Carlson and maybe even some Fox viewers would levy that same accusation against the January 6th committee. In fact, that, that's some of the, the um, response that we were hearing as the committee was uh, presenting its public finding in those hearings that there was cherry picking going on. I mean, how do you respond to that?
3: Yeah, again, I, it was important to us that we put everything that we found forth to the public. So we didn't just write a report, an 845-page report. We released the entirety of the body of work, all of the transcripts of all of the interviews, all of the documents that are cited in the report. It was important for us, Megna, to make sure that we could not be accused of sort of cherry-picking findings, presenting some and not others. And that's why, in addition to the the sort of sum of the equation at at the end. This was a multi-part plan by the president and his allies to subvert the transfer of power. We wanted the raw material, the worksheet of sorts, to be released as well, so that people could make their own judgment. They could read all that material, review it, and determine for themselves if uh, our conclusions were misleading or are accurate. And I'm proud of them and stand behind
0: them. I think they're exactly accurate. So, um, Ryan, I'm going to come to you in a second, but Tim... Do you think that this kind of uh, alternative narrative now that's being spun I'm going to I'll go so far as to say with the assistance of the House speaker since he decided to give the footage to Fox but this alternative narrative I mean narrative is it is it damaging to the american people or to our understanding of what actually happened on January 6th
3: Sure I think anytime there's a misleading narrative that's put forth trying to sort of recreate what really happened. It is damaging. The the mandate of the select committee was to tell a, a truthful, credible story as to what happened and to learn from it, right? And to make recommendations and suggest process improvements that will make this less likely to happen in the future. So we have to start with truth. We have to start with facts. We have to start with an honest reckoning of what happened. And a dishonest reckoning of what happened is inconsistent with that process.
0: Okay. Ryan Riley uh, with NBC News. Appreciate your patience here. You have been covering many of the criminal cases Hmm. regarding January 6th that are working their way through the justice system. Do you um, think that the release of this footage and how it's being repackaged by Fox News um, is going to have any impact on the cases that are still currently pending?
2: You know, I don't think it'll have any material impact on a lot of the cases. I think it will certainly get a lot of things sort of off track uh, because you already see a number uh, of defendants pointing to this and saying uh, that they think this somehow changes um, the merits of their cases. You know, there is one defendant who is actually um, on trial the week that a lot of this came out and um, Online Suicide referred to her. As window watcher because, you know, she sort of has this uh, these wild eyed uh, photos and she filmed some selfie videos when she was inside uh, one of the rooms in, on the Western Terrace right beside the tunnel. She was inside the tunnel first and then she went through a broken window um, and w- was filming through there as writers uh, tried to create another entry point um, and actually stacked a table um uh, where they uh, expected the police would come in. This was another potential battle line um, that was drawn when they actually breached the actual Capitol building. Um, and, you know, she thought that this Tucker footage was going to just be, was going to be it for her. She actually, you know, went after she was convicted um, on all of the counts she was charged with, you know, she she had taken the stand and testified to the fact that she actually went inside the Capitol and said that she had the right to do so. And i um, had sort of all these sort of wild conspiracy theories um, uh, that she was uh, articulating on the stand. And then afterwards, when she was convicted, went on Facebook Live or her husband's Facebook uh, Live account and said, you know, keep watching Tucker. I have a feeling this is all gonna fall apart. So, you know, she's one of these people who think, who Tucker's giving a lot of uh, false hope because she thinks that she's gonna be out of it um, because of the footage that, she, uh, that he aired. And that's just not the reality, you know, she's gonna be sentenced and it's probably gonna be end up doing some significant time uh, in federal prison because of the mm-hmm. approach that she chose to take to this.
0: Well, Ryan Riley joins us today. He's justice reporter with NBC News. And Tim Hafey is also with us. He served as chief investigative investigative counsel on the January 6th committee. And we'll talk a lot more about um, how certain members of Congress have been showing vocal support for the accused and convicted from January 6th and what that means for our democracy. This is On point.
3: That's shipstation.com with the code POD.
0: This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarti, and today we are talking about how several key members of Congress uh, in the Republican caucus are vocally showing their support and throwing their support uh, behind defendants, those uh, charged and accused and convicted in the January 6th attack. Against the Capitol and really what that says uh, about our democracy right now. I'm joined today by Tim Hayfe. He served as chief investigative counsel on the January sixth congressional committee. Uh, Ryan Riley joins us as well. He's justice reporter. At NBC News. And we had been talking about the decision that House Speaker Kevin McCarthy made uh, earlier this year to give unfettered access to Capitol footage or of Capitol footage to Fox News. And uh, Speaker McCarthy was asked about why he did that. He was asked by reporters uh, in the halls of Congress. And um, here is how McCarthy responded.
3: So, I have exclusive, then I'll give it out to the entire uh, country. So that, why give why it I to think, someone who is downbeat? Because I think sunshine matters. So I don't so care what side of the issue you
0: are on. So you heard uh, McCarthy there saying uh, that Fox has an exclusive, and then he's going to give it out to the entire country. What he also said uh, in that same sort of hallway walk and talk is he did a little bit of whataboutism and uh, turned the attention to his concerns about CNN supposedly showing exit routes uh, when they have footage. He's concerned, he said, about Nancy Pelosi's daughter showing whether members of Congress went to Fort McNair when they weren't supposed to say they were there. There's a documentary that CNN put out, and he, the speaker uh, insisted that we won't play politics like that, end quote. Uh, Tim Hafe, just respond to that really quickly.
3: Yeah, look, at, Magna, any time this footage is aired by any source, it, it creates potential issues for law enforcement. It really needs to be judiciously and carefully used. There were times when we asked the Capitol Police about using a particular clip of footage, and they said, well, can you zoom here so the specific corridor isn't obvious? Or can you stop it here because when he turns this corner, it's obvious where he is? And we generally accommodated that. Uh, Again, there's a balance here between a truthful account of what happened and the protection of the complex going forward. And we tried very hard to sort of accommodate those concerns while doing our job in telling the truth. Again, the problem here is that I just don't know that any such accommodation process is going on with Tucker Carlson or Fox or with any other outlet. And that is uh, is troubling. The Capitol Police Chief has said the same thing. He is also very concerned and learned about this disclosure on the news, was not given mm-hmm. advance notice. And again, law enforcement ought to be involved in this discussion and actually, helping identify security risks for the use of any of this footage.
0: Hmm. Okay. So we we want to try and start pulling together the different members of Congress and and their uh, the way they've been showing support for January sixth uh, defendants. So let's put uh, the House Speaker aside for just a moment and turn our attention to Republican. Representative from Georgia, Marjorie Taylor Greene, who uh, visited January 6th defendants at uh, the jail they're being held in in Washington, D.C. She visited on Friday. And here she is speaking to reporters outside uh, the jail as protesters blew whistles in the background. There were many, many reports of, of how they're being abused um, and how their rights are being abused. And remember, these are pre trial. Uh, January 6th defendants. The reason why we're here is because the two-tier justice system has to end. Ryan Riley, do you understand what she's saying about, quote unquote, reports about how uh, these defendants are being abused or how their rights yeah. are being abused?
2: I mean, I think they're just complaining about jail, I think is like the the overall takeaway here, right? Like, the conditions that they've uh, been given in some ways are better than your most of your pretrial detainees across the country. And of course, those who uh, are being held pretrial, we should say, we should say, first of all, that some of the people who are being held in that jail have actually been convicted of the crimes that they've been charged with others. There's just overwhelming evidence um, of their guilt, but they haven't formally been declared uh, guilty yet. Um, They haven't gone through that, that, that process, but a judge in every, one of those cases, uh, sometimes a federal magistrate judge, sometimes uh, a U.S. Um, a district judge, uh, sometimes an appellate court um, uh, on appeal has decided uh, that their detention is warranted based on uh, the overwhelming evidence against them, uh, as well as the uh, the threat that they pose to the community or the uh, the the possibility that they could flee. So there's you know an analysis that's been done and argued in court in all of these cases, and you know the people who are being held there are charged. Overwhelmingly with with violent crimes, I think there's one individual uh, who hasn't been who's only facing misdemeanor charges, and you know you look into his case a little bit, and the reason that he was was is being held pretrial um, is because well, a he brought um, he has a hammer on his belt when he came to the Capitol, but the more relevant factor being here is that they tried to serve a a grand jury subpoena on him. Uh, He refused service of it. Uh, They tried to arrest him um, with the California Highway Patrol and pulled him over on uh, the side of the road, at which point he fled the stop. And then he holed up um, in his apartment complex or in his his condo when the FBI uh, came to arrest him and engaged in a standoff for several hours uh, with the FBI. So, that seems like a kind of case where, you know, it might be warranted to hold someone pre-trial given uh, the uh, demonstration that they've given that uh, they can't be, uh, they they don't, um, aren't going to cooperate with the court system um, and are a danger to the community. So, you know, these cases really have been adjudicated. And there's a reason that I think, you know, your Marjorie Taylor Greens don't want to go into any detail uh, about these individual cases and prefer to speak very broadly and not actually get into the weeds because the facts of the matter don't look look good for them, right? They don't They don't mm-hmm. want to talk about what these individuals are actually charged with, why they're being held. They just rather make it as though, you know, a bunch of grannies who held ticket signs uh, are being held behind bars right now, rather than actually talk about the facts and the details of these cases.
0: So Tim Haifey, um given what Ryan just described, um, it kind of puts what Representative Green has said about the uh, the January 6th defendants being held in that jail in, in a new light. Cause she even calls like the cells that they're held in the quote unquote Patriot wing Patriots wing and supposedly uh, high-fived some of the defendants um, as well. I mean, is do you see this? I mean, you you were also a former U S attorney, Tim. So do, do you see this as a meddling of politics in the justice system? Uh, look, I, I
3: was a prosecutor in Washington, DC, so I know exactly uh, the facility in which these folks are held. First of all, this isn't the D.C. jail. This is the correctional treatment facility, which is right next to the jail, right? So it's already mm-hmm. a step above in terms of uh, the accommodations for prisoners. It's actually meant to be a medical facility. They're also segregated in a wing together. They're not in general population. I think that's for their own protection. They're given access to news coverage, to iPads, actually. Um, look, jail is hard. Their liberty is restrained. Um But the conditions under which these uh, Jan 6 pretrial detainees are being held is frankly better than the average prisoner who's held pending trial in D.C. And of course, we heard nothing about that for years and years from Marjorie Taylor Greene or anyone else, the conditions under which black and brown people who are charged with other offenses in Washington, D.C. are held pending trial. Um, So it is an attempt for her and, and others like her to use some sort of political narrative into a situation without justification.
0: Hmm. Now, Ryan, um, you know, earlier I'd mentioned that there are hundreds and hundreds of cases still pending. It suddenly occurs to me that I may have lowballed it. I mean, where are we (laughs) with um, the trials
2: That's right. So 1,000 cases have been brought forward uh, thus far. But I think, you know, if you put that on the scale of things, the total number of people who could be charged because they either entered the Capitol or because they assaulted members of law enforcement outside uh, is in excess of 3,000. Now, the Justice Department isn't going to be able to get to that full number realistically before uh, the statute of limitations uh, expires. But what they have told the court uh, is that there could be another 1,000 cases in the pipeline, which would bring us to 2,000. And, you know, this really has overwhelmed the court system Uh, in a lot of ways they're not used to processing this many cases and you know it's impossible to even cover all of these trials that are ongoing there's ones um, going on right inside right now you know I've at many times been the only person in the courtroom gallery for a lot of these uh, cases as they make their way uh, through the system right now there's a huge seditious conspiracy trial um, unfolding uh, involving um, involving members uh, of the proud boys and there's these other bench trials that are being held jury trials that are being held on a regular basis um, but it really is you know a lot for the court system to handle, especially considering that we're just coming out of uh, COVID. So, you know, the courtroom was essentially shut down for that first year plus of uh of 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 after the january sixth attack so that has really held up a lot of these cases there were cases that were waiting uh to be to go to jury trial before january sixth that have nothing to do with the attack um so it really is overwhelming the court system in a lot of ways and you know there are a ton of individuals who are just basically waiting to be arrested including people who've been identified by online sleuths for a very long time the list of people who have been id is you know, who have not yet been arrested is is around a thousand. Uh, so, those are just the ones that we that the online sleuths know of. You know, the FBI still probably has others that uh, the online sleuths don't. So, it's it's going to be a long time uh, ahead. And you know, as we see these conspiracy theories. Uh, mm-hmm. pick up. It's always really interesting to look because, you know, they'll focus in on someone and say, hey, this is Antifa. And in reality, it's like, you know, how pull up his Facebook page. And, you know, I don't know, MAGA forever sounds pretty uh, supportive, supportive of Donald Trump for someone that they accuse uh, of being um, Antifa. So a lot of these cases, you know, it's going to take a while. And that's unfortunately, this is the, uh, the situ- situation that we're in where a lot of this disinfo is out there, um, even though, you know, a lot of these arrests are still in the pipeline. Um, And, you know, the overwhelming majority of people who were there, in fact, pretty much everyone who was there was there in support uh, of Donald Trump and committed violence on his behalf. Mm.
0: Well, Ryan Riley, justice reporter for NBC News. Ryan, thank you, as always, for coming back to the show. Thanks so much. Okay, so Tim Hafey, hang on here for just a minute because I want to bring Noah Bookbinder into the conversation now. He's president of Cidics, Cid, Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. Noah, welcome to On Point.
4: Great to be here.
0: Okay, so let's take the word ethics first. Do you have ethical concerns uh, about uh, the, the actions that the, of the members of Congress we've been discussing so far?
4: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think you, you can you can see that on a couple of different levels. Um, first of all, uh, just in terms of kind of the, the sense of ethics that all of us have, um, you know, members of Congress are expected to represent the American people. They're expected to um, look out for our system, of our, our democratic uh, system of government. And after uh, January 6th, 2021, there really was this opportunity for um, – members of Congress across the political spectrum to come together and condemn what was truly an attack on our democracy because they were there. They saw how horrific it was. They were worried for their own lives. Um, And instead, uh, what you've seen is uh, members of Congress like uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene, but also Speaker McCarthy, concluding that it was in their political interest to uh, essentially downplay what happened on january sixth and make excuses for the people who attacked them um, and you know that is uh members of congress themselves uh undercutting undermining the democracy that they are supposed to be representing and there are real ethical problems with that um, but but more specifically looking at um you know the the rules that apply to members of congress um, and uh You know, there aren't kind of specific rules that that say you can't go to D.C. jail and and, Mm -hmm. um, associate with uh, charged um, insurrectionists. But the rules do say that members of Congress are expected to uh, behave in a way that reflects creditably on uh, on the House of Representatives. Um, And, you know, when you have them going in and kind of throwing in their lot – Uh, with the people who um, attacked the Capitol, attacked law enforcement, sought to overturn a free and fair election, Uh, surely, if anything, does not reflect creditably on the institution of of Congress, it would be that.
0: But the reflection as seen by whom, though, right? Because I, uh, I imagine that these same members of Congress would say that the constituents they speak with or that they represent um are, are very supportive of their efforts to uh, you know to 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 throw their weight behind the january sixth defendants
4: i mean look you know that's that's uh, presumably why um these members of Congress are doing what they're doing uh, they they know who their base is uh and they are appealing to those people um and uh you know look i think we we all need to have um, to to try to understand uh, why people got to a place of uh, attempting to overturn an election and to, to bring violence to to the U.S. Capitol, um, but what we can't be doing is um, throwing away what members of Congress can't be doing is throwing away their commitment to uh, elections that count to a system of, of checks and balances, um, and you know they they need to ultimately. Uh, stand with and stand for uh, that institution. And, um, you know, one thing that we have seen, if you look back historically, is that when there are um, uh, violent um, overthrows of democratic systems or, 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 you know, installation of uh, authoritarian forms of government, uh, it really happens on the first try. Uh, often, mm-hmm. what happens is that there is a there's a failed attempt, um, and then rather than condemnation, you have mythologizing and. Um, and, and whitewashing of that, and that lays the, the groundwork for future attempts. Um, and, you know, that's that's the really dangerous ground we're, we're treading here when you have, you know, Donald Trump, the person who incited that insurrection, running for president again, uh, uh, ramping up his violent rhetoric, and these members of Congress uh, are sort of doing their part to... Um, potentially lay the groundwork for, for more anti-democratic attacks, more violence in the future. Um, and that is a um, – it, it's an ethics problem. It's a democracy problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Tim Hafey, did you have a response
3: to that? I agree with what Noah is saying. And, and look, Megna, let's not forget that members of Congress were directly and personally involved in what, what I've called sort of the white-collar aspect of January 6th, the, the political machinations to try to prevent the transfer of power members of congress mm-hmm. who tried to orchestrate personnel change at the department of justice and the installation of an acting attorney general who would take action without basis in fact or law members of congress who facilitated and directly put pressure on state officials to hold special sessions or to put forth fake slates of electors for president trump despite the results of the uh, results of the election in those states so our report details members of congress that were part of this plot who actively themselves worked with the president and his co-conspirators to prevent the transfer of power. Um, and if we're going to talk about ethics, it's one thing to sort of stand in front of the correctional treatment facility and say these are political prisoners. It's another thing entirely to actively participate in a plot to prevent the transfer of power. And I think our report does a good job of laying that out uh, and talk about
0: an ethical violation. Uh, it, there, it's there in spades in the white-collar mm. part of the case. Well Tim Hafey and Ryan uh, excuse me and Noah Bookbinder hang on for just a minute we'll talk a lot more about what the implications are of all of this for the continued fragility of American democracy when we come back this is on point This is On Point. I'm Meghna Chakrabarty. And Tim Haifey joins us today. He served as chief investigative counsel on the January 6th Congressional Committee. Noah Bookbinder joins us as well. He's president of Citizens for Responsibility and Ethics in Washington. And we're getting a lot of comments coming in from listeners Uh, online here. Uh, On Twitter, one listener says, Kevin McCarthy's GOP is sending out a loud message. The GOP is the party that will support insurrectionists and anybody who commits crimes on behalf of Donald Trump. This makes the GOP a national security threat, not an American political party. Uh, That's from a listener on Twitter. Another listener says, the only relevant question is the one you asked at the top of the hour. Why? What is their motivation and what is the end game? Well, We talked about House Speaker McCarthy. We've talked a little bit about Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene. Let's now bring in Donald Trump, because to kick off uh, his uh, first official campaign rally in Waco, Texas, which took place on Saturday, Donald Trump played Justice for All. Now, this is a song featuring a group called the J6 Prison Choir, and they're singing the Star Spangled Banner while... Trump recites the Pledge of Allegiance. Now, the J6 Prison Choir is a group of January 6th defendants currently being held in uh, Washington, D.C. And here's a clip from that song, which once again played at the start of Trump's rally in Waco on Saturday
1: Indivisible with liberty and justice for all.
0: At the rally, as the song was uh, played, Trump held his hand over his heart uh, and on the in the backdrop behind him, there were photos of some of the rioters from January 6th. Well, at the same rally in Waco, a little bit later, Trump talked about the defendants, uh, again, the ones that are currently being held in D.C. And here's what he said.
1: But under Joe Biden, American patriots are being arrested and held in captivity like animals. Look at what's happening in Washington. And I will tell you, Marjorie Taylor Greene is the expert. She's been to that prison many times. She's described, she is, there is nobody that has described what's happening in that prison. It's a hellhole. And these are soldiers and policemen and firemen and medics and doctors in a couple of cases. These are people that shouldn't have been there. And when you look at the Tucker Carlson tapes from two weeks ago and you see so many things that turned out to be false, very important, what Tucker's done, what Sean has done, what Laura did. Laura did a piece last night that was incredible.
0: Donald Trump there on Saturday in Waco, Texas, at the end of that uh, clip he mentioned, Not just Tucker Carlson, but Sean Hannity and Laura Ingram also from Fox News. So here we now have Donald Trump, who can actually brings together all of these threads we've been discussing this hour. House Speaker McCarthy's decision to release those tapes to Fox News. Marjorie Taylor Greene showing her support for uh, the January 6th defendants. Um, And now... Donald Trump himself. So Jack Beattie joins us. He's On Point's news analyst. Hello there, Jack. Hello, Megna. So what do you see in this coming together of these threads uh, in what uh, Donald Trump just said there?
5: Well, the threads are very intimate for Mr. Trump. He has said, uh, he said, said, quote, I'm looking seriously at full pardons and apologies for the uh, uh, rioters, the insurrectionists, and he's also said he's financially supporting some of them. Uh, so he's and he see, appears to be in business with them in terms of selling that uh, recording or that 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 video, whatever it is that he's made. And uh, he bragged last night with Sean Hannity that he's he's a regular Elvis. They're selling so many um, people are, are getting so many listens to that. Uh, to that, uh, uh, music, uh, he's also using the January 6th, uh, rioters as a, as a sort of, um, paradigm as a kind of, um, threat. And he's, uh, he, he, he did it last week when he was asked about, um, uh, when he was talking about, uh, uh Alvin Bragg and the, um, imminent as he thought uh, indictment, uh, uh, his imminent indictment. He he said there, may, there will be death and destruction following any indictment of me. Well, last night on Hannity, Hannity said, well, what about that death and destruction? That seems a little, you know, a little extreme. And here's what Trump said. I didn't say do something bad. Huh. I said, I'm afraid that people will do something because they're very upset about it. So he's not it's not incitement. I didn't tell them to do that. It is protected speech. The First Amendment, according to the Supreme Court and the Brandenburg decision, uh, protects even speech that recommends criminal acts if there is no direction, go and do death and destruction, and if the death and destruction is not imminent. You can, you can talk about, you can advocate unlawful acts, as he did. Uh, So he remains a what Judge Luttig in the hearings called a threat, a clear and present danger to our democracy. And he invokes the January 6th uh, paradigm as, look, I can get rioters out on the street, but there's something else he's doing. This is new territory, I think, and it's in a way even more insidious. He is threatening individuals, not just the system. Now he's putting targets on people's backs when he calls Mitch when he says Mitch McConnell has a death wish. For signing a, for going along with a spending bill, when he calls Alvin Bragg human scum and a degenerate psychopath. What he's doing there is practicing what uh, scholars call stochastic terrorism. That's quite a mouthful. But basically, here's the definition the public demonization of a person or group resulting in the incitement of a violent act, which is statistically probable but whose specifics cannot be predicted. He's he's essentially invoking a threat that may come out to individuals, and there are so many people out there, there are millions of people, somebody among them is bound to act on it. And of course, studies of this have shown that people on, on militia sites who, who were searching for militia groups, they also buy over a hundred percent more likely also to search for mental health uh, information. In other words, there's a large percentage of people who can be uh, activated to violent acts, and already the system is reacting to this. The judge in the federal judge in the uh, in the Gene e, Carroll rape uh and and defamation trial which is going to begin in april 20, 25th in new york he has ruled that his jurors must be anonymous that no information about them can come out and he cited yeah. trump's threats precisely so trump has moved from brandishing january 6 as a you know we'll have riots in the street to putting targets on the backs of individuals
0: Right from from it will be wild to there will be death and destruction. Right, so mm-hmm. so 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 Noah. Uh, I mean Jack gave us a lot a lot to think about there. I'm just wondering. So what do you take away from his analysis?
4: Yeah, I think he's absolutely right that uh, you know Donald Trump has always has gotten where he's gotten uh, with the politics of of grievance, um, the sense that uh, he and his supporters have been uh, have been. Uh, uh you know, treated unfairly. Um, and uh, he has also um, again and again uh, sought to, uh, you know when when he loses, to not recognize the the, the defeat, uh, when he's looking at um, at prosecution to um, undermine the legitimacy of that and uh, you know and, and, and to, uh, encourage a kind of vilification uh, of those who who uh, seek to bring about any kind of accountability for him. Um, and what you have here is rather than um, the the rest of his party, of the Republican Party, uh, kind of cutting ties and, and saying, we've seen where this can lead. Uh, instead, they are realizing that or they are making the calculation that their uh, political fortune lies with uh, taking Donald Trump's side, and you know, kind of twisting reality to to, um, uh, to to kind of go along with the way he's portraying things. So you have, uh, you know, Kevin McCarthy uh, in the House creating this uh, committee um, that is uh, that that is called a called the, the subcommittee to, to you know to examine weaponization um, and uh, you know Donald Trump of course uh, for four years really did weaponize government he really used the Justice Department to try to protect himself and his allies and in some cases uh, uh, go after perceived enemies um, but you've got this committee uh, being formed not to go after that not to look into that um, but rather um, uh, to uh, investigate those who have investigated January 6th, those who have investigated mm-hmm. Donald Trump. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, my organization uh, crew uh, sent a letter to Jim Jordan who's run- in Congress who was running that committee and saying, hey, if you're going to have a weaponization committee, you should be studying the actual weaponization of government. Um, but instead we have this this. Altering of reality and this kind of complicity uh, at, at, at the highest levels of Congress—that um, is—is is really laying the groundwork, sort of tr- um, adding. Uh, a sense of approval for this um, growing violent rhetoric, and and the the possibility that you know we we can see events like January sixth or like the kind of targeted violence um, that you know uh, that 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 we we're just t- talking about uh, coming in the future, and that's really really distressing.
0: So, Tim Hafe, uh let me come to you because Noah is exactly right in mentioning some of these other. You know, committees right now that the Republican led House, uh, the Republican-led house I- is forming. And it leads me again to the question of like, why? What is the end game here? Another one of them is, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong, but it's a, a different committee that's supposed to be investigating or an investigation into the January 6th Congressional Committee, again, that you did work for, Tim. And this investigation from the Republican led House. Is being led by Georgia Republican Barry Loudermilk, which is notable because last year through the January 6th committee, uh, we found out that uh, the day before the riots, Loudermilk was leading a group of uh, folks through the halls of Congress, giving a tour at a time where virtually no one was allowed to, to do that. So, Tim, can you talk about that for just a quick minute?
3: Yeah, sure, Meghna. So I do understand from public reports that Representative Loudermilk is going to lead a six-person committee, subcommittee, uh, to investigate the investigators. Candidly, that's something that we always expected. And from the very beginning, we were mindful that everything that we did on the select committee would be uh, – picked apart for years and years um, and sort of welcomed that. It's part of why, going back to what I said before, we put all of the information that we gathered out on the public record so that we couldn't be accused of cherry-picking the, the good stuff or the bad stuff. The interesting thing about Representative Loudermilk, as you said, you know, we, one of the things we investigated was whether or not members of Congress were giving tours to people who ended up at the Capitol on January 6th in the days before. And that surveillance footage that we talked about earlier was useful. We we had all of the surveillance footage. And we found Representative Loudermilk himself with a group of uh, a people, and it was unclear to, to us who they were, literally walking through the halls of the House office buildings. You know, To be clear, he didn't lead that group to the Capitol building, but he led them through the halls of, I believe, the Rayburn House office building. And one of the individuals was taking photographs of stairwells, of of uh, placards on doors, uh, not the type of things that normally a, a tourist would be interested in photographing. And that individual who was snapping pictures was someone who was at the Capitol the next day. We wrote a letter to Representative Milk and asked him for information about the circumstances that gave rise to that group, uh, him leading that group through. And he refused to come in. Uh, and talk with us. So he was a sort of a witness, an important potential witness in our case. And now he's being asked, despite his lack of cooperation with our process, to lead an investigation uh, of the investigation, um, which, you know, again, I I find curious. If I could, I just wanted to go back quickly, though, to the, the discussion about what President Trump has recently said. Yes, please. Go ahead. I'll leave it to Noah and to Jack to talk about the politics of that. That's really not my Uh, area of expertise, but it does bear upon a crucial issue in the criminal investigation. The special counsel is really laser-focused on evidence of President Trump's intent. Uh, The statute, the lead statute that our committee recommended as a possible criminal charge is obstruction of an official proceeding, and that requires a criminal prosecutor to provide evidence that, uh, that President Trump corruptly intended to disrupt an official proceeding. He specifically intended to obstruct, interfere with, um, or impede the joint session. Our report lays out lots of evidence that uh, is a manifestation of his intent to obstruct that official proceeding, all of the prongs of the sort of white-collar parts of the the effort to prevent the transfer of power, the submission of fake electors, the pressure on the Justice Department, the pressure on the Vice President and state officials. His actions on January 6th, his incendiary rhetoric at the Ellipse, his desire to go to the Capitol during the, the march that he called for from that podium, and then his inaction over the course of the riot, despite being repeatedly implored to call off the rioters. When I hear him continue to praise the actions of these patriots calling the incarcerated men at the D.C. jail patriots, it seems to me like additional evidence of uh, praising their conduct of of his intent, right, of his desire that they succeed in that protest in disrupting Mm. the official proceeding. So the more he talks, the more the special counsel pays attention, it's very mm-hmm. difficult to look into someone's mind and derive evidence of specific intent. Yeah. But public statements praising rioters as calling them patriots, despite the fact that they're charged with violence, yep. pretty
0: indicative of his specific intent. Well, Tim Hafe, Noah Bookbinder, and Jack Beatty, thank you to all three of you. I'm Megan Chakrabarty, this is On Point.